Well, you can keep open before you this evening, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. We're thinking this evening about heaven's glorious city centre. Heaven's glorious city centre. Well, I wonder, have you ever been taken on a guided tour of a beautiful city? Maybe you've been on one of those hop-on, hop-off bus tours. Uh, Belfast does those tours now. Many other cities in the United Kingdom do them, uh, where you can just very quickly maybe see the, the main attractions of a city. If you've taken a tour of a city, you may or may not have gone into the city centre. Sometimes a city centre isn't worth seeing. Maybe it's extremely busy. Maybe the centre of it is a business district. Maybe the, the traffic is dreadful. Maybe it has a reputation for high crime rates. Um, and so you don't bother going to the city centre. Other city centres, though, are well worth seeing. A few years ago, um, pre-COVID and also pre-children as it happens, uh, Hannah and I took a trip uh, to New York City. Uh, and right in the heart of the city is Central Park. Uh, Central Park is 843 acres in size, uh, just over 1.3 square miles. And in proportion to New York City, that's, that's a pretty big area. Uh, laws are in place to make sure that Central Park is never infringed upon. Uh, the city is concerned that that space always remain a green park space uh, on into the future. And there's something uh, quite incredible and, and enjoyable when you've made your way through the loud, bustling city of New York to, to arrive in Central Park and suddenly uh, you can kind of tune the traffic noise out and you don't even notice the buildings anymore and you just see uh, the trees and the river and the, and, and the beauty of that part of the city. Well, in these closing chapters of Revelation, it's, it's like we're on a, a city sightseeing tour of heaven. And we've seen already that heaven is coming down to earth and that when Jesus returns, this earth and everything in it will be made new. That includes the mountains, the rivers, animals, and of course, God's people resurrected uh, to enjoy everlasting life. And we saw last week that in this heaven on earth, there is this great city, the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is a picture of the church it's all God's people from across time and space gathered together. Uh, last week we got a tour of the city walls. There's a city in our province, of course, and you can tour those walls if you so desire. But uh, we got a tour of the city walls of heaven last week in Revelation 21. And we saw this city uh, depicted as being secure. This great and high wall, the, the gigantic proportions of this city. Uh, and all of it, of course, symbolic of of the security and the beauty of the church in, in eternity. We also saw last week that this heavenly city is a temple. It's not, as we read earlier, it's not that there is a temple somewhere within this city, as there was in Jerusalem in the days of Solomon, for example. But this whole city is a temple. The whole city is the dwelling place of God. Uh, and, we, and we read that in Revelation chapter 21. The glory of God will fill this city. He will dwell with his people forever in this city. And so having toured the city walls last week, uh, this week we're going into the city centre. And as our tour bus pulls up at Revelation 22 verse 1, 
In the centre of the city, we see a beautiful garden. A bit like if you arrive in the heart of New York and suddenly everything is green and lush and beautiful. Revelation 22 verses 1 to 5 is not quite the end of the book, but it is the end of the vision of the book. So you have a little bit at the beginning of Revelation in chapter 1 that sort of introduces the book, and you have a little bit at the end that concludes it. Uh, And we're here, we're at the very end of the vision before the conclusion which we'll come to next week, God willing. And yet, as the vision ends, it's taking us back to the beginning. To the very beginning of the Bible. Because the Bible begins with a garden. The Garden of Eden. Paradise. Where the first man and his wife enjoyed fellowship with God. Adam and Eve sinned of course and so paradise was lost. But Revelation is finishing friends by telling us that paradise is coming again. And in fact it will be paradise even better. And more secure than the paradise of Eden. As we'll see shortly. Ultimately this vision of a garden in heaven's city centre is emphasising further to his friends that to be in heaven is to enjoy perfect fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's what you want, if that's your heart's desire, then this passage this evening, God willing, will leave you longing more than ever for heaven. So what do we see in particular as we enter into this garden in heaven's city centre? Well, there's three pairs of things that I want to show you this evening. And the first one is the river and the tree. The river and the tree. These are the first two things that John points out to us as our tour bus uh, stops in the city centre. Look at verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. There are a few things that this river and tree symbolize for us, friends. First of all, they symbolize the purity of heaven. Notice the river is described as being bright as crystal. It's It's pure, it's clean, it's safe water. A lot of concern has been shown recently over the state of the water in Loch Ney in Northern Ireland. The problem with the the green algae, isn't it? Isn't that what it's called? And how contaminated the water of the loch has become and uh, the knock-on effects that it's having for the wider uh, area and the water supply in the province. Maybe some of you have been to cities in Europe that have huge rivers running right through them and uh, and sometimes things can get a bit out of hand, a bit out of hand, and city life and the river, everything's a bit grimy and dirty. But in the heart of heaven, friends, there is this steady stream, this unending supply of pure, clean, bright water. It's a picture for us of the fact that there will be nothing impure in heaven. No sin, no suffering. All of that will be gone. Heaven is a place of total purity. Uh, The river and the tree also symbolize the abundance of heaven. The abundance of heaven. Notice verse 2 says that the tree of life was growing on either side of the river with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
Now, I'm pretty sure any farmer you ask will tell you that they've never known a plant or a tree to yield 12 different kinds of fruit and to yield its fruit every single month of the year. That is a completely foreign concept to us. Um, And of course, again, it's a picture for us. And notice the number 12 there, 12 different kinds of fruit. 12 is a symbolic number in Revelation. And it's telling us here that nothing will ever be in short supply in heaven. Boys and girls, maybe it comes to that point in the week where the the groceries are due. Either mum or dad's going to go to the shops or uh, the Tesco or Sainsbury's delivery man is going to come to your door. But before they come, your favourite snacks are in short supply. Uh, And you report a complaint to mum or dad about this. uh, And you're a bit disappointed that the very thing you wanted from the cupboard isn't there. And it's in short supply because the supplies are about to be restocked. There will never be any need for that in heaven. This river, this tree of life, they're constantly fruitful. There's no shortage. There never will be any shortage of anything good to enjoy in heaven. It's abundant. And then, of course, this river and this tree also symbolize the eternal life of heaven. The river is always flowing. The trees are always producing to all eternity. And that's a picture of the life that we will enjoy in heaven. And notice what particular tree this is that John sees. It's the tree of life. Remember there were two trees in the Garden of Eden, boys and girls. Genesis 2 verse 9 says, The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you remember what happened. Adam and Eve listened to Satan and they took the the fruit that God had forbidden from the tree of knowledge. They didn't need to know what it was to have disobeyed God's law, but they chose to take the fruit. And so they knew, they, they experienced the guilt and the shame and the separation from God, the death that comes with sin against God. Not just physical death someday, which Adam and Eve did experience, but, but spiritual death. To be away from and separated from God. And so you remember what happened after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before they could eat from the tree of life, God banished them from the garden and he guarded the way to the tree of life. Uh, that, That angel, that fiery angel with the sword, guarded the way to the tree of life. And we never see or have mention of the tree of life in scripture ever again after that. Until now, at the very end. Where we read about the new beginning. On either side of the river. The tree of life. And notice verse 2 says. The leaves of the tree. Were for the healing of the nations. That's a picture of. The work of the gospel. Healing those who. By faith know Christ. And have their sin forgiven. The, The gospel heals us. It heals us from that spiritual death. It heals us. Ultimately, in the end, from our bereavements and from our persecution and from our temptations and our struggles. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well, John 4, 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the tree and the river, friends, they're a picture for us of the everlasting life 
of heaven. Purity, abundance and everlasting life. Let me ask you today, do you know, do you believe that this is the life waiting for you? A life free from sin at last. A life free from suffering at last. A a fruitful, abundant life. Those aches and pains that have set in if you're in older age this evening. Gone. A body healthier than uh, your body was at its peak in this life. Do you know with certainty that that is your future this evening? Because you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important to know, by the way, as we think about this new paradise, that there is no possibility in it of things ever going wrong again, as things did in the first Garden of Eden. Some people ask that. I was asked that by an inquisitive uh, covenant child in our congregation a few weeks ago. How do we know that there's not going to just be another fall in this beautiful new world? Well, remember, friends, there were two trees, as I mentioned, in Eden, the tree of life, And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But there is only one tree in heaven. The tree of life. Adam was on probation as it were in Eden. There was uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a test for him to see if he would obey God as he ought. And he failed to pass the test. and, And we with him and in him. But then Christ has come the second Adam. Who has obeyed God in everything. Who has passed the test. Lived a perfect life. And if we belong to Christ, we have his righteousness imputed to us, given to us, covering us. So that his record of perfection is our record of perfection. So that when we are judged in Christ, we are judged to be righteous as Christ is righteous. And what do the righteous earn or deserve? Everlasting life. And in this new And glorious new earth that we're thinking of here. We're told back in Revelation 21 verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nothing unclean. No sin. You won't even be able to sin. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. That's a promise from God. Your sin won't even be remembered in heaven. It's gone. Death is gone. Satan is gone. They're in the lake of fire that we thought about a few weeks ago. Only life remains. The great concern of humanity is to have life. To beat death. And in recent times the interest in beating death. It's, it's taken a strange turn. Those of you who read up on things like AI. And um, human, the, the, the idea that some people have now of transhumanism. Which is that somehow our humanity will be merged with technology. With computers. This is the next great hope that uh, somehow we'll be able to defeat physical death by these means. Uh, John Lennox, a very gifted Christian apologist. Some of you will have read his books or listened to him online. He's professor of mathematics at Oxford. Very gifted, gifted Christian speaker. He was speaking recently on Jordan Peterson's podcast on this whole issue of transhumanism. and The idea that we can beat death through technology. Dr. Lennox says the problem of physical death has already been solved. It was solved 20 centuries ago when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he promises to those who follow him and trust him that he will eventually raise them from the dead. And that will be the best 
uploading or upgrading of software you can ever imagine. Brains, body and everything else. If you know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, pure, abundant, everlasting life is yours in glory. So we thought about the river and the tree. Two more things that John draws our attention here uh, towards here in this vision is the throne and the nations. The throne and the nations. Notice verse 1 tells us the source of the river of life. Where does this river come from? Verse 1 says, It was flowing from or out of the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the city. So friends, the throne of God himself and of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is right in the centre of this city. God himself is of course the source of life and abundance and all good things in heaven. Look also at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Again, that's a promise. No more sin, no more death. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. There cannot be anything impure, friends, in the throne of God, in the vicinity of the throne of God. The curse of sin and death is gone forever. But notice that as well as the throne of God, the nations are mentioned. Verse 2. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And we've, we've seen the nations mentioned already back in chapter 21 as well. That the nations will bring in their glory uh, to this great city. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. As I said, that's a picture of the, the work of the gospel. And the gospel is for all kinds of people. It's for all the nations. The world's greatest cities today pride themselves in being cosmopolitan. In other words, they're full of people from all over the world. And so I mentioned New York earlier. If you were in New York, you can find Asian neighborhoods or, or Little Italy or Irish pubs. The nations mix in the cities of our world today, but the nations also retreat into themselves within our nations today. Uh, they, they keep their own distinct little areas, their own flags, their own food their own music. In heaven, the nations will truly mix and trust each other and respect each other and live together because they will all be together experiencing the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In heaven, God's promises to Abraham are finally fulfilled. We thought about them briefly this morning, but... God's promises to Abraham, friends, concerning a land and concerning people, they are not fulfilled today in the ethnic Jewish nation in Israel, in the land of Israel in the Middle East. They, they far transcend that. Abraham's true descendants are men and women and boys and girls from all the nations who, like Abraham, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. That's what makes you a descendant of Abraham, faith in Christ, not biology or ethnicity. And so these people are from all the nations of the world who, who love Christ, who are united to Christ, who will gladly worship God at his throne and enjoy the abundant and pure and everlasting life that heaven's garden gives. 
This, of course, has huge implications for our sense of identity in this world, friends, and for our concern to see the gospel spread. There is such a thing as healthy patriotism. It's good to love your nation. We were giving thanks this morning for the freedom that our nation has and giving thanks for the sacrifice of those who contributed to that freedom years ago. But all too often in our world, that love of nation becomes idolatrous. We live in a part of the world where that is very clearly the case. One flag won't do in the month of July in Northern Ireland. Every single lamppost, every spare piece of pavement and everywhere else in the town or in some of the towns of our nation has to be plastered with the same flag over and over and over again. Whether it's red, white and blue or green, white and orange. We look at the Middle East today and to some degree at least idolatry of nation is fueling violence and conflict on all sides. There will be no flag waving in heaven. There will be no idolatrous clinging to national identity. We will have our diversity, but we will also more importantly have our unity in Christ. And so here's the real answer to world peace and to friendship and joy among the nations. Not politics, not protest, not flag waving, but the gospel. And that's why our first priority in life, our first priority as members of the church of Jesus Christ is to promote and contribute to the spread of the gospel near and far, regardless of race, background, ethnicity, language. We're not the most diverse part of the world here in northeastern Ireland, though that is changing. But since we're not the most diverse part, that is all the more reason for us, friends, to partner and pray for the spread of the gospel in other parts of the world. To pray and to give and even to go, perhaps, if the nations aren't quite yet on our doorsteps in this town. Though, again, that is changing. But nonetheless, we, we pray for European Missionary Fellowship and Asia Link and the persecuted church. We're, we're glad to go on uh, trips like, like Linda's recent trip that we'll be hearing about in a few weeks with Mission Africa or any other number of great ministries because we want people from all the nations to experience the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and we're to have no hang-ups to, uh, and to bring no baggage to that exercise based on personal preferences. I think there will be diversity in heaven. We're, we're not all just going to be clones. That would be rather strange. But uh, Revelation twenty one twenty six says that the nations will bring their glory and honour into the city. It's a bit like how the nations brought glory and honour to King Solomon when he was on his throne. Or uh, you think of the Magi bringing their gifts to the infant Lord Jesus. And we don't know how this will play out exactly. But we know that all the nations will be there. And so we're to go to all the nations today. That so thy way most holy on earth may soon be known, the psalmist says. And unto every people I save and grace be shown. Boys and girls, if you don't have one already, ask your mum and dad to get you a map of the world for your next birthday or Christmas present. I know you can look at it on your iPad or your computer anytime, but it's better to have one actually hanging somewhere in your house 
so that you can begin to learn more about the nations of the world. We have one in the back here in the meeting house. But you can learn more about the nations of the world and the people that still need to know, to know about the good news of the Lord Jesus. That's what a man called William Carey did many years ago, the great pioneer missionary to India at the turn of the 19th century. Carey was a simple, ordinary shoemaker. But he dreamt of taking the gospel to the nations. And so he hung maps in his workshop area. And he prayed for them while he did his work each day. And eventually he sacrificed everything to go with the gospel in person. Kerry's motto was attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. And may we consider today friends what God would have us attempt So that we go to those nations that one day will be in glory with us, worshipping the Lamb. And that leads us to the third thing to think about this evening. We've thought about the river and the tree in this garden city. We've thought about the throne and the nations in this garden city. And finally we think about the Lamb's face and God's glory in this garden city. The Lamb's face and God's glory. The middle of verse 3 says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Those words are so simple, and yet they are completely overwhelming. We will see the face of our precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine it? A few weeks ago I drove down to Dublin airport to pick up some friends and I was waiting for them for quite a while in the arrivals area and there were dozens of joyful reunions taking place all around me as, as I waited. There, there was one couple in particular, I have no idea obviously what their story was, but they just kept hugging and then looking at each other in the face and then hugging again, uh, tears of joy, big smiles, just looking into each other's eyes, taking each other in. Can we even imagine what it will be like to take in the face of Jesus? This again is the language of dwelling with God, enjoying perfect fellowship with God. This was language that we see all throughout the Old Testament. This is one of the ways that the Old Testament saints understood eternity. That it would be to see the face of their Redeemer. You remember Moses asked to see God and God told him if he saw him face to face, he would die. Because Moses, of course, like all of us today, a believer, but but imperfect, still a sinner. And no impure, imperfect sinner can expect to see the face of God and live. God would be too overwhelming. And so Moses saw only the back of God's glory, just a glimpse of it. And still the hope remained in the Old Testament era that one day, God's people would be able to dwell with God and see his face Again, echoing all the way back to Eden. The fellowship that Adam and Eve had with the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. You remember the blessing that the Old Testament priests pronounced on the people. Number 624. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so the centuries went on, friends, and the faithful remnant of God's people sought his face 
as they observed his worship at the, top, at the tabernacle or at the temple in Jerusalem. And then we arrive in the New Testament and John tells us in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Jesus perfectly images his Father in human flesh and to be in heaven, friends, will be to see Jesus. And as I mentioned, boys and girls, a few weeks ago, not Jesus as he was when he walked the earth, but an even more glorious Jesus. And the natural response to seeing Jesus will be to worship God, as verse 3 says. And our worship will be perfect because the moment we see him, friends, we will know more about him than we knew our whole lives before heaven. The moment we see him, we will understand better than we ever did before the height and length and depth and breadth of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. The face of Christ will be the main attraction, the centre of our attention in heaven. Will we be reunited with loved ones? Yes. Will we recognise each other? Yes. Will we have work to do? Yes. Will we eat in heaven? Yes. Recognise each other? I believe we will. Climb mountains, eat good food, have good fun? I believe we will. But all of that is out there in the city, in the new earth. What will keep us coming back into the city centre, as it were, will be the beautiful face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even when we go out and do those other things, we'll still be filled with the glory of Christ. Look at verse 5. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Again, friends, this is symbolic language. It's not necessarily saying that there will be no sun or moon uh, for the new earth. There may be, there may not, but... It's saying that nothing will outshine the glory of God. Nothing will outshine the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Heaven is a World of Love, he said, The glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love as the sun fills the world with light. We will be perfect reflectors of that light, friends. We will see the face of Jesus in all his glory, and we will perfectly reflect his light to one another. He told us in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world, and don't we just kick ourselves sometimes for how poorly we do that. Never mind reflecting his light to unbelievers, sometimes we reflect it so poorly in our homes, to the ones we love the most. We so dimly and poorly reflect Christ to our spouse, or our children, or our parents, or our loved ones. We so poorly reflect Christ as we meet for worship or go out into the world as his ambassadors. But in heaven, the glory of God will fill the earth and it will fill us. We will be perfect and we will see the perfect face of the Lord Jesus forever. 
If you're a Christian here this evening, what more do you need to know about heaven than that? That's enough to keep you going for the rest of your life. Remember again, that's why Revelation was written. It's not a puzzle book for the super smart to figure out. It's a book to encourage weary saints in a pressurized, persecuting world. And this is all we need to know as we deal with temptation and hardship and persecution and maybe sorrow and grief. Psalm 73, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you shall receive me to glory. To know that Jesus will look upon you and see not a hint of sin. Never again receive from you worship that was less than wholehearted. To know that you'll be in a place where the possibility of sin no longer exists. What could be better, friends? Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans, remarked upon heaven, comparing it to the original paradise of Eden. He said, in Eden there was only one way out of the garden. And once you went out, you could never come in again. In heaven there is only one way into the garden. And once you come in, you can never go out again. What is that one way in? It's Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life, he says. You want life? You want abundance? You want purity? You want freedom from pain? You want life to the full? Believe him. Trust him. Follow him. And look forward one day to seeing the glorious face of your Saviour in heaven's glorious city centre. They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and they will reign forever and ever. Amen.